0: Okay, if you have a Bible with you this morning, please open up to the Gospel of Mark chapter 12. Last week I finished a 15-message series, sermon series on healing. Uh, we used Mark's Gospel as a roadmap to examine the signs, wonders, healings, miracles, supernatural events of Jesus' life. You can find that entire series online, the church website. It's all free if you're interested. Um, today I'm going to begin a new uh, sermon series on our church's ethos and values. Um, but let's begin with Scripture. Uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. Please follow along as I read beginning at verse 28. 28 to 34. Okay. One of the teachers of the Lord came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? <clears throat> The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Excuse me. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, "Said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Keep a finger there. I'm going to work my way back to those verses. So I want to talk about our church's ethos and values. What's an ethos? Most of us grasp, easily understand the uh, meaning behind intent, behind the term values. But maybe some of us are less familiar with the term ethos. I researched a variety of definitions for ethos. And I like best the one from Collins English Dictionary. It's concise. It's clear for my purposes. And it says this, an ethos is the distinctive characteristic spirit and attitude of a people, a culture, and an era. For us, the Charlottetown Vineyard, our ethos communicates our collective distinctives, that which defines our group characteristics, our spirit, our attitude toward one another and the world around us. So what is our ethos, our personal ethos and values? Well, if you look at the um, church's website on our About page, About Us page, uh, there's a link a section titled, Ethos and Values. And this is what it says on that page. Our ethos, four, four things to our ethos. First is passion. We're a passionate people. We love God, people, and life passionately. The second is freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We're exploring the fullness of that freedom and living it out as best we can. The third is spirit. We're not content to live in intellectual and academic faith only. We want to live a supernatural life in the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to know God personally, intimately, and experientially. And the fourth uh, part of our ethos is destiny. We want to fulfill our God-given destiny and help others do the same. And then there are also four parts of values that we have. First is worship. Worship that touches the heart of God and inspires his people. Um, worship is my highest personal value. Matter of fact, I think that when we come together as a group, there's no more important thing that we do than that we worship God. I think preaching the word is great. It doesn't compare to actually being in the presence of God and worshiping him. Worship is absolutely number one. I remember sitting down with somebody, a pastor at church once, and this church member was not all that happy with me and, and looked at me and said, what do you want from church, Tom? I said, I want the presence of God. I want the presence of God. He did this. Oh, dude, it's all about God. How could you be but want the presence of God? Nothing I found gets us more connected to God's manifest presence than when we worship him. It's my number one value. The second is the Word. It's our standard it's inerrant, and it's divinely inspired. Third is relationships, friendships that are authentic, gracious, loving, and trustworthy. And the fourth, reaching out, giving what we've got to who we can, no strings attached. So over the next few weeks, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about each one of these, each of these eight items that make up our ethos and values. I don't think I've done that since I've been here. It's four years now. And so today I'm going to begin the series speaking about passion. So back to Mark chapter 12, the verses I just read. So here we see in Mark's gospel, again, Jesus is, is contending uh, with the, the Pharisees. They're, they're, he's out in the public square, and they're peppering him with questions. They're, they're debating him. They're testing him. And one of the teachers of the law, the text tells us, Notice that Jesus was giving good answers. And so he decided to ask a question of his own. And was a pretty good question at that. And he says to Jesus, he asks this, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Really good question. Jesus gives an outstanding answer in verses 29 to 31. The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, with all your strength the second is this love your neighbor as yourselves there's no commandment greater than these so he tells us to love the Lord your God the word love used here in this text it is the verb form of the word agape now agape love is not a friendly love or brotherly affection Greek has a different word for that agape love is not romantic or sexual love they have another term for that Agape love involves faithfulness, commitment, and an act of the will. It is distinguished from other types of love by its lofty moral nature and its very strong character. Agape love I think is best described in 1 Corinthians 13. It describes the love that God has for us and the love which we're to have in loving loving God back. It's the gold standard of love. It's the highest love there is. So we're to love God with the highest and best love that exists. The sentence continues, love the Lord your God with all. I looked up all in the original Greek. You know what all means? All means all. It means all. All. Love God with all. Not just part. It means all and whole. Love Him completely. Love God with 100%. Hold nothing back. Leave nothing in reserve. Love Him with all. And then he goes on and qualifies that all, or defines the all. Love the God, love the Lord your God with all your heart. The Greek word there is kardia, and it means spirit. Love Him with all your spirit. You know what tripod means, right? Body, soul, and spirit. Love Him with all your spirit, the seat and the center of your spiritual life. Love God spiritually, or love God in the spirit. Love God with all your soul. The word here is psyche and it's the seed of our feelings, our desires and our affections. Love God with all your emotions. oh my God, we could be emotional when we love God. we could we could we be emotional when we love God. We could get excited when we love God. We can we can love him in an undignified way. <laughs> right You know that that song is, is speaking about when David danced before the Lord, right? And he, he danced wildly like a crazy man out in public in just his underwear. And He got back into the house and, and his wife really let him have it. You're dancing like that in front of all these servant girls. And he told her this. I will be even more undignified than this. Wouldn't it be nice to have a church full of people? Didn't give a rip about what other people think. That hey! We just love God with all we got. All we got. All of our emotions. All. I long for the day. When the people in Charlottetown, when the people on Prince Edward Island are no longer in bondage too, what will people think? When they're no longer in bondage too, what will the neighbors say? Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? That's liberty, that's freedom. But that's next week's message. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your emotions. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. And the word here, the word for mind Is made up of two words, and it literally means this: love the Lord your God with all your, with all your mind by understanding. Those are the two words, or by your intellectual faculty. So love the Lord your God with all your thoughts, all of our way of thinking, all of our understanding. Love God intellectually. And the the final thing is love God with all your strength, with all your physical ability, force, strength, might. Love God physically. When David danced before the Lord with all of his might, he was, he was loving God physically with all, with all he got. You know? When some people come out from behind the keyboard and, and dance around while they're worshiping, that's loving God with the I've told you guys stories before. We had a church in Washington, and sometimes during worship on Sunday morning up front here it was like a mosh pit. These people were completely out of control. They would dance like crazy. Sometimes the worship leaders would leave the stage and join the dancers. We had side doors that, that, like we had these big glass doors out here. Well, they were right connected to our sanctuary. The side doors would be open in the summertime, and the kids would dance. They would be dancing so wild and crazy in the presence of God during worship. They'd go dancing out into the streets. They would twirl out into the streets. I loved it. There was a bar across the street. They'd come out and dance with the kids. They come out of the bar, we came out of church, they danced together. That sounds like God to me. That's a good thing. They were loving the Lord their God with all their strength, with all their physical capabilities. So according to Jesus, this isn't just a suggestion, this isn't a good idea, this isn't something, this isn't a box to check off on your list. Jesus said the most important thing. He was asked what was most important. He said this is the most important. To love the Lord your God with the highest quality of love and to love him with you all, wholly and completely, with everything you've got. And that would do it spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, and physically. Now, to me, that sounds like a pretty comprehensive definition of loving with all you got. That's pretty comprehensive. Another way of saying that, I think that says love God passionately. That sounds like passion to me. If you're holding nothing back, if you're not giving him a portion, if you're giving him the whole portion, if it's not 10% or 25% or 85%, if it's 100%, that's a passionate kind of love. If you're loving him with all your emotions, that's a passionate love. If you're loving him with all you got physically, that's a passionate love. I think another way of saying this verse Is the most important thing, according to Jesus, is that we love God passionately with our whole being, with the full essence of who we are as a person. So I believe Jesus is telling us to love God and to love people and to do it passionately. That is the most important thing we do. I want to be a man personally. I want to be a man who loves God, and loves people passionately I want to be I want to love God and I want to love people extravagantly much more than what seems prudent or wise or respectable or expected if you love somebody a hundred percent if you love passionately God or people to the world that's gonna look foolish sometimes it's gonna look ridiculous sometimes it's going to look fanatical sometimes. I, think it's I don't really care. <laughs> That's what I want. I want to do what Jesus said to do. I want to do the thing that Jesus said is the most important thing to do. I want to love with my all. If you love with your all, are you going to get hurt? Oh, man, you're going to get hurt. But love anyway. If you don't love with your all, are you going to get hurt? Sure, you're going to get hurt. Love with your all anyway. It's the better portion. And so that's not only what I want for me, that's what I want for us. That's what I want for the Charlottetown Vineyard. I want us to be a passionate people, a community that loves God, that loves people, and that loves life passionately. Now, passion is so significant to me personally that I had the Hebrew equivalent of the word tattoo on my, my left forearm. That's the Hebrew word kana. and it means passion or zeal. It's from Psalm 69.9 and John 2.17 where they spoke of Jesus and they said zeal for your house will consume me. Kana means God's passionate love for man and man's passionate love for God. Now you know passion it's socially acceptable in some parts of our culture. Sports for example. Anybody here ever been to a hockey game? I don't care what level hockey game. Could be six year olds playing Right? People get pretty passionate watching hockey games, right? I grew up, you know, football fan. The Giants are playing the Bears at 2 o'clock today. I tell you what, I'm going to be pretty passionate watching that game. If my team's doing well, I'll be passionately happy. If they're not doing well, I will be passionately unhappy. <laughs> right, babe? So, I mean, so in some parts of our culture, you can, you can scream and yell. You can jump up and down. You can paint your body, your team's colors and walk around a stadium with 50,000 people. Nobody has any problem with that. But if you do that in church, it seems weird. Why is that? Why is it okay for us to passionately be demonstrative about our team, but somehow it seems um, inappropriate to be passionately demonstrative about the God who gave his life for us (laughs) and who loves us like crazy? I don't know. There seems to be a disconnect there. And it seems to be a disconnect from Jesus' word about loving God with our all. Why is that? I'm not fully sure why, but I'd like to see a change. I'd like to see people as excited about worshiping God as they are about their sports team. I think that's a reasonable expectation. I think something needs to change in our culture, in our understanding that says that's okay. And so, you know, I want to make space for that. Yeah. So I want to encourage people. I want to encourage the passionate and the demonstrative people. Or well, the last thing I want to do is shut them down. Now, it's not that I, anyone should be forced to, be ex, to express themselves in the same way. That's not what I'm saying. That would, that would defeat the purpose. But neither should, be, should people be prevented from expressing, expressing their passionate love for God. I don't want to force anybody to dance, but I don't want to tell anybody they can. I don't want to force anybody to shout, but I don't want to stop anybody from shouting. Right? It shouldn't, it shouldn't both be equally as acceptable? The church we were in in Washington, uh, I'll use that as an example again, is a vineyard church and people dress there like we dress here, right? Sundays they got blue jeans on and, you know, hopefully a clean, nice shirt. Maybe checks me before I leave the house. And, and uh, I remember having a guest speaker once. He said, when well, I'm in a vineyard church, I always tell the pastor, is he's the worst dressed person in the room, <laughs> you yeah. know? Ragged jeans, flip-flops. And so, yeah, we were really casual. And a friend of mine, Mike, comes in the church one Sunday morning, three-piece suit, tie, shine shoes, you know. He's looking dapper. I'm like, Mike, got a funeral at church today? Oh, you got a little wedding? I didn't know what was up. He's like, he says, I'm free enough that I can wear my suit. I said, dude, good for you. That's what I want. I want people free enough to wear flip-flops or a three-piece suit and a tie. Right? I want people who are free enough to dance whether shout or twirl or do cartwheels. I've had people do cartwheels in the middle of a service. right across the front, as part of their passionate expression of yeah. worship for God. Yeah. All good. I don't want to stop that. I don't want to tell everybody, this is the cartwheel church, everybody right I know, and now we're going to go do cartwheels. Yeah. But it should be okay if people get excited about God, if they're passionate about God. Somehow, throughout the ages, we've got driven into our minds that being passionate about God was somehow unacceptable. I don't buy it. Now, there is an old Japanese proverb that says, the nail that sticks up gets hammered. So there are some here who've paid a huge price for demonstratively expressing their passionate love for God. Our church as a whole has paid a price because I refused to suppress that passion. It's been costly, but I think it's been worth it. And I need to let you know, I'd do it all over again. I'd make the same choice again. And I will make that choice. Uh, Thanks, Thanks, bud. I will make that choice again and again and again. So passion, godly passion, has a place in all of our lives. I think a good metaphor for passion is fire. Fire. Godly passion is like fire in the p- fireplace. It warms up the entire house. Ungodly passion, drugs, alcohol, fill in the blank, any ungodly passion, well, it can be fire, too. But instead of, in the fireplace, it's on the living room rug. Instead of warming the whole house, it burns the house down. I think motivated by fear, the church throughout the ages has discarded passion. They've thrown out the proverbial baby with the bathwater. I want the baby back. I want fire in the fireplace. Fire is good. There's nothing wrong with fire. I want to see the fullness of godly passion return to the church. People should get excited about their God. He's amazing. He's incredible. I want to lead a people that love God passionately, that love God with all they got. Now, passion is vitally important to each of you personally. As a pastor many times over the years, I've had someone come to me and ask ask me this question, Tom, what has God called me to do? What is my calling? And my answer to them is always the same. What are you passionate about? What is your passion? As I believe this, that passion is your God-given, built-in from the manufacturer homing device to your destiny. Let me say that again. I believe that passion is your God-given, built-in from the manufacturer, God, homing device to your destiny. You want to know what God's called you to do? What passion has he put in your heart? What's that thing that makes you come alive? What's that thing that sets you on fire? God put that passion in you. Why? So that you'd know which way to go. He wants us to do and be what we love. He wants us to do those things that bring us life, those things that make us come alive. Right? If somebody can... I, I did this with my kids. I, I, I raised them this way. What's your passion? I told them, if you could find that thing that you're passionate about and do it the rest of your life, it wouldn't even feel like work. It'll be fun. Why do, why do people have hobbies? Right? It's an escape from their job or from the, the mundane chores, the burdens of life. Those are the things that give them life. There's a really good possibility that somewhere there's clues to destiny in those things that give you life. It's why I'm a pastor today. These are, Since I'm 16 years old, talking to people about Jesus, worshiping him, this is the thing that's given me life. For years I did it and never got paid. I was happy to do it. I worked another job just so I have the ability to take care of my family and still get to do this. So 30 years later, we're still doing it, baby. Listen to me. Hunger fuels passion and passion points to destiny. Hunger fuels passion and passion points to destiny. What are you hungry for? Like I said, I raised my kids this way. My daughter had gone to YWAM, and when she came back from YWAM, she didn't know what she wanted to do with her life. So she worked for a while as a church secretary, and, and often we'd have these late-at-night conversations. They always wanted to have deep conversations at midnight, you know. I'm just about ready to turn in, and now they, they want to have deep. So I would, I'd listen, man, would give my undivided attention. And so I'd say, Lisa, what's your passion? I don't know. What, do you, what gets you excited? I don't know. So we did this. I said, you know, we got a great community college in town. Why don't you go there and look at their catalog and just sample classes? Don't even go for any you know, associate degree, nothing. Just take the classes that interest you. Find out what lights your fire. And so she did that for a couple of years. And she sampled a few things, and she liked a few things and disliked them all. And then she took a class in psychology. And she just connected with the professors. So much so, she took every class that he offered. And then she discovered, this is my passion. She went on and got her undergrad degree and then got, got her master's degree, and she's working as a psychologist today. So proud of her. Her journey began with, what is she passionate about? My son has an entirely different passion. His was video production. So he lives in Hollywood now. He's a, he works in, as a set dresser and, and props on TV shows and commercials. And this is his passion. They both love what they do. It began when they were little kids, and I would ask them this question. What's your passion? What are you passionate about? And it's how I've tried to live my life. I love pastoring people. I love training and equipping people, helping them reach their destiny. I've had a chance to to mentor young people over the years so many times. I love doing it. Angie's going to preach again next week. we work, we we worked a couple of times now getting that second message right. I live for moments like that. When somebody's got a passion for this, they've never done it before, I can help them get from you to that. I, that's my passion. Help people do what they're trained and equipped to do. I love the supernatural. I love the manifest presence of God in our midst. And I love worship. Man, I could have just... I told Angie after the set this morning, they, they were, we could have done, done the two songs and done them over and over and over again. You know, his banner over me and yeah. and uh, what was the last one? King of my heart. We just they could have parked on those two and I could have stayed on, Summer. yeah, <laughs> for forty-five minutes each. We might have been in a room by ourselves, but I would have had a blast. I would have loved that. You know, love the worship. Doesn't it show? <laughs> I got to tell you, as your pastor. The last thing I want to do is manage your behavior. Somewhere along the line, pastors got the idea that it was our job to be sin managers. And we're to manage what's right and what's wrong in your life. I don't want that job. I never signed up for for that job. What I want to do is stoke your passion. I want to help you fall madly and passionately in love with God and stoke your passion. You manage your own behavior. I can barely take care of me. How does that sound? So I collect quotes. I've collected lots of quotes over the years. I've got about 325 pages of quotes at home. And not surprisingly, some of those quotes are on passion. I just want to share with you some of my favorite quotes that I've found on passion over the years. E.M. Foster said this, one person with passion is better than 40 40 people merely interested. That's the truth. One person with passion is better than 40 people really interested. German poet uh, Christian Friedrich uh, Habel said this, nothing great in the world has ever been accomplished without passion. Motivational speaker and author on leadership, John Maxwell, he said great leaders courage to fulfill his vision comes from passion, not position. Bill Johnson, first or two quotes by him, pastor over at Bethel <clears throat> in Redding, California. He says, "When your passion begins to decline, you already start to die. You were born to burn." French philosopher Denis Diderot said, "Only passions, great passions, can elevate the soul to great things." A friend of mine on Facebook. <laughs> Ken Sullivan said this, a passionate lover will always be more effective than an obedient servant. Graham Cook, do this one. Write this one down and do it. Do it today, do it this week. Graham Cook says this, ask the Lord for a revelation and an encounter with his passion. You won't regret it and neither will anyone who knows you. We need to have an encounter with the passion passion of God, with his passion towards us, his passion for us. Transformative. Larry Randolph, prophetic minister, said the new territory is never taken by passive people, but by those who are willing to risk it all on their passion in life. Just a few more. Author Fabian Fredrickson, and this kind of confirms what I said earlier, the things you are passionate about are not random. They are your calling. The things you are passionate about are not random. They are your calling. Beethoven said, to play a wrong note is insignificant. To play without passion is inexcusable. Second quote by Bill Johnson, Christianity was never meant to be known for its forms. It was meant to be known by its passion. Never celebrate form. Celebrate life. Heidi Baker. She does her best around. If ministry is not about compassion and and passion, let it die. If ministry is not about compassion and passion, then let it die. And novelist D.H. Lawrence says this, Be still when you have nothing to say, but when genuine passion moves you, Say what you've got to say, say it hot. (laughs) Say what you've got to say, and say it hot. I should give that to any young preacher. Write that one down, Angie. you got something to say, girl, say it hot. So you might be sitting there this morning and saying to yourself, Tom, you don't understand. I'm too old, it's too late, my time has passed. Well, to that I say, no, of course it's not too late it's never too late to reach our destiny. Yeah. Jack Nicholson became the oldest man to win the masses, 46 years old. Julia Child had her first television program when she was 51. Satchel Paige became the oldest baseball player of 59. Tolkien wrote and published the first volume of Lord of the Rings at 62. That work carries on to this day. Who knows Laura Ingalls Wilder from Little House on the Prairie? Now she was that she began that famously, wildly famous book series. She was 65 when she wrote that. 65 years old. It is not too late to fulfill your destiny. And who knows how far-reaching the impact could be. The three top candidates for president of the United States this past election, Trump was 70, Clinton was 69, Sanders was 75. Not too late to reach your destiny. John Glenn, at 77, was the oldest man to go into space. Moses was called to be a deliverer at 80. Caleb was 85 when he entered the land God had promised to him. Nola Oaks, the oldest woman to ever get a college diploma, 95 years old. Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born to him. The child of promise. It is not too late for you. I don't care how old you are. I tell you today as your, passion, as your pastor, dream, God-sized dreams. Why waste this life on anything else? You know what a God-sized dream is? It's a dream that requires God to fulfill it. It's a dream you can't do by yourself. A God-sized dream for the Town Vineyard is this. We, we gather all of our collective resources, all of our time, all our energy, all our money, and we put it in a pile. That's not big enough. That's not a God-sized dream. That's a man-sized dream. The God-sized dream is that you do that and you still need God to accomplish what he's called us to do. I tell you today dream. Dream again. I prophesy to you in the name of the in the name of Jesus. Dream again. Let those dreams come alive. There's stuff people here have buried since their childhood. It is time come, the rise from the dead those dreams need to come back. It's not too late. It is not too late. So I ask you today, what is your passion? What are you passionate about? What is your God-given homing device to your destiny? Every quest, every adventure comes at a cost. And whatever that cost is, your personal destiny is well worth it. Never settle for the boring or the comfortable. Don't settle for what's safe or socially acceptable. Why should other people decide your destiny? Why should other people get to decide what it is that God's called you to do? What does he have his finger on? What does he let flame? What does he put on fire? Life awaits you. Passion beckons you today. And so I say to you, go. Run. <laughs> Trembling if you must, but go because you are made for this. Guys, you are made for this. Live a passionate life. Maybe you're sitting there today and you're thinking, my passion's gone out. Is there an ember? Is there something, even a small spark? little as much in the, in the hands of God? Even a mustard seeds. Worth. Let's pray. Oh God. Oh God, I pray for my friends today. Give us passion, oh God. Lord, I pray that you would light us on fire. Light us on fire, Lord, and let the world watch us burn. Make of us a people who love you with our all, all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. All of our strength, Lord. Make of us a people that truly do know how to passionately love you, spiritually and emotionally and intellectually and with our whole bodies. Lord, I pray that worship at the Charlottetown Vineyard would become a full contact sport. Let it be so. Give us aerobic worship. I pray that people would lose weight after they worship at the Charlottetown Vineyard. That they sweat so much they need a shower after church on Sunday morning. Hey. Make it so, God. There got to be at least one church on this island that's willing to do that. Let it be us. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. And Lord, let it be you. Let it be you that sparks in people. Like you inspired David to dance, Lord, inspire us to worship you with everything we got. I pray, Lord, that we passionately love you and one another and the world around us, just as you've loved us. Oh, God, make us a passionate people. Do it, Lord. Thank you, Lord.